Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, hey, Emily, how are you today? Hey, 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 Michelle. I'm good. Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah. How yeah. are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. You know, yeah. uh, I was been doing some improv. We're doing a little improv. We had our, pers- our first uh, level six performance last night. Of course, it was online. It was virtual. Uh, we used Zoom and live streamed mm-hmm. on Facebook and it went it went well. So it's great. Now, I, I mean, I had a little bit of anxiety building up to it, getting all the elements to together you yeah. know you know how I am when it comes to um producing things for live streaming I know but you're so good at it <laughs> these I, days I have gotten, it's impressive yeah, my, I'm getting my skills are uh, are getting better and better so who would have known that our little podcast here would have launched you down this path of like becoming an expert in live stream and producing all these well, yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, my undergraduate degree is in radio, television, film production. So I have, but that was way before, I mean, I was doing like nonlinear editing mm-hmm. um, and uh, where I had to actually cut a cassette tape. And right. Like, tape. What's that? Tape, right. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the pandemic and making us stay home accelerated my uh, my learning and mm. um, ability to to get even more hands on and you know i have so many so many toys yeah. um, of the streaming kind now at home. <laughs> and uh, that's, None that you have to hide under the bed. None that have yeah. to have a, they have, they have special places, but, uh, you know, a different kind of honor. And, yeah, and I mean, I just love it. I, I totally geek out with it. And yeah. like, I, think, what, I think I'm just two light fixtures away from a TV studio in the house. I think it's getting pretty close. Yeah. yeah, every time of the month show, it's like, come into the studio and see what's new. <laughs> Last time, it was a complete transformation. So I'm looking forward to our next time of the month right. show, which, of course, is always the last Wednesday of the month. Exactly. 8 to 9 yeah. p.m. on Facebook Live. You can catch us there. But uh, yeah. we always have a good time. So I'm loving it. But now I'm glad that we the show went well. We have three more performances, Monday nights. Um, you can catch that on the Improv Shop's mm-hmm. uh, Facebook page. Uh, you can, you know, watch them um, watch in perpetuity. You. Well, my team, I mean, my, my teammates, uh, my classmates, yeah. and stuff. So it was good. Um, but I feel I'm great to be here in the studio drinking I some wine. Know. You know, how are so you? Wonderful. You know, I'm doing great. I've been just so. You know, I've been very, very work busy lately, which I love because I'm at. I'm like fortunate to be working in my dream job mm-hmm. and um and so things have been really on fire getting close to closing on like the acquisition of another company wow, so yeah. that's been really fun to put together and you know i just feel um you know it, it's such an interesting dynamic right now because it's a difficult time for everybody mm-hmm. But I feel that I have enough going on to keep my brain occupied and my spirits up. So I feel really, really fortunate good, in good. that. Good, yeah. And uh, yeah, and I'm I'm just delighted to be here today as well because you and I had an amazing experience just a couple of weeks ago. We did. 
that really led us down the path of this conversation. Right, right. And we mentioned this on the time of the month of last, last mm-hmm. um, what would that have been, August's time of the month, mm-hmm. where we, we had just gone to the exhibit at the Missouri History Museum, Beyond the Ballot. And I highly recommend every listener in St. Louis, it's going to be at the Hitcher Museum until March of 2022, that you make your reservations now. It's free, but you do have to reserve a spot and you go and you and you visit it. And then you're going to want to go back a couple of times. It yeah. is incredible. We it's were, profound. We were moved. Yeah, it's it's deeply moving. It's there. You'll learn so much. So much. Um, you know, it, it dispels. I think a lot of myths. It also helps you understand the the pure um, breadth of the suffrage movement. And, and, and the women in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, uh, oh. and, and what's it? What, well, you know what? Why don't we introduce our guests okay. before we decide we, to, talk to just about, talk all about it without her? <laughs> without her. Uh, we, after, we were so inspired, though, when we left the History Museum, we said we need to find out who put this together and we need to have her on the show. Yeah. And so, through some connections, we, were got, we got hooked up with Katie Moon, the director of. Exhibits? Exhibits manager. manager. Exhibits manager. Sorry about that. Um, At the Missouri History Museum and the curator of Beyond the Ballot. And author author. of Groundbreakers, Rule Breakers, and Rebels. A new book coming out in November. Welcome to Clearly Speaking the Podcast, Katie. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like I've arrived. This is my first yeah. podcast. And, Fantastic. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, I've hit the big time. Oh. <laughs> you have. And we have listeners all over the globe. So, oh. um, so you, no pressure? No pressure. No. <laughs> no. That's no, why there's wine. Drink some more wine. <laughs> drink some more wine. Well, before we get into like just the meat of our conversation and, uh, and talk about the exhibit and everywhere else is going to lead us, let's talk about our wine. Let's go there. Yeah. yeah. So we are drinking a Bordeaux, um, La Petite Lune. So the little moon is what this is, um, which is so perfect because our guest, of course, being Katie Moon. Don't you love yeah. how darling oh, that is? Yeah. feels so special. I know. <laughs> this is a 2016. Um, it is made by uh, Domaine de Chevalier. And um, we just opened this. I haven't given it a whole lot of you know, deep thought at this moment in time, but I can tell you kind of right off the, right off the, out of the gate here, I'm getting just some musk on the nose, definitely dark fruit, some leather, earth. What I'm getting on the palate is a little fruitier, like dark fruits, your blackberries, your black cherries, and raspberry. I also find that there's this little bit of tartness that mm-hmm. I can to like a, a a red, you know, a red, slightly less ripe cherry, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how this opens up. It is a Grand Venda Bordeaux, which says, you know, we got some good grapes going on. So, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, but that muskiness. Ooh, and I love that. Yeah, it smells. It smells and tastes. But it was mm-hmm. nice how you talked about like the smell is different. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. do get way more fruitiness that was surprising when I, from just the smell. Right. You know. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're two different animals. And do you think the tartness will um, lessen as it, as I it opens? I would think so. Yeah, I think this is, I th- honestly think that this would benefit from some air, so give it some decanting. Swirl it around a gr- in your glass. You know, I try not I, to this drink is it young. all. 
Yeah, right. Right now. Right away. Yeah, right I now. think it will benefit mm-hmm. from some of those swirls. Some of those swirls. Yeah. Well, let's see. Let me take another quick mm-hmm. and a sip. So, Katie, I know you're not a big drinker. So, how is this hitting your palate? It's good. I, I'm not usually a red fan, um, but it's it's good. It's got some complexity to it, and it makes me want to eat a steak. I agree. I think it would pair really well with steak. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, like, my thoughts right now, the images of, of I'm getting, if this were a panty, um... And just go with me here. Yes, and me. All right, you got it. Um, I'm I'm getting like a really like a, like a silver, but but it's like a strong, not a stainless steel kind of look, but like a really um, uh, pe- uh, protective. Uh, you can't you can't hurt me. Um, mm. You know, a very uh, almost a pair like of, armor. Like armor, yeah, but okay. but the panties don't they don't they don't hurt you like they're armor. They're not metal. They're not metal, but they're going to be like um, kind of that. Actually, more of that gun metal that you're seeing on like the cars, okay. you know, that kind of. There's a little shimmer, um, yeah. but it's still kind of kind of flat as well. But there, but it's comfortable. It doesn't hurt you in any part of your body. Um, it stays where it's supposed to be, um, but yet it is. It it just it shows strength, um, and that your partner knows that um, when they get you in the bedroom with those on. That uh, they have quite the female on their hands. That you're the boss. Well, that the, <laughs> you know, that uh, there's there's probably some um, honoring that needs to happen. Okay. Why are you making me think of Princess Leia? I oh, oh the gold okay. bikini. Well, okay, yeah, I didn't have gold, but that's. Um, <laughs> I mean, this know. is the new generation. Well, this of is, Princess Leia panties. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. What was the What was the other woman that was in the Was it in the new Star Wars movies. Oh, gosh. What was her name? I don't know. I know. I'm dating myself. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, didn't. I don't know. I don't Rogue One. Whoever Rogue yeah. One was I actually that girl. Haven't, I haven't caught up. I kind of gave up after Anakin and that whole round. Like, yeah. I, yeah, I know. Yeah, I am. Um, Might be a good... B side kind of kind of conversation. <laughs> Let's talk Star Wars. It's, kind of, <laughs> it's a different podcast. It is, totally. <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get. I mean, I mean, we, I mean, some women might want to talk about Star Wars. You know, we can't we can't decide true. That, that, true. that that's not of an interest. Yeah, <laughs> we would probably just not, not do it verse. justice. <laughs> right, right. I am much more interested in the suffragist <laughs> movement than the Star Wars, the Star Wars movement. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I have in my mind for the panties. So, um, okay. for this wine, but it's so good. And the I, day that we finally start making our panty line, it is very That diverse. is one that will, I'm sure, be a hit. It'll be probably sold out immediately. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and there'll be all these women saying, no, she said you're supposed to honor me when I'm in these panties. <laughs> Down on your knees. <laughs> yeah. Which actually, you know, that makes me think, given the theme of our conversation today, should the panties be white with a yellow sash? Well, that, um, I didn't want to be so... Too obvious. Too obvious with okay, that. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't see white with the yellow yeah, sash. I get it. That doesn't definitely yeah. doesn't taste white with the yellow sash. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah. Maybe underneath. Oh, on the inside. Ooh. The, yeah. The metallic under. That's what maybe mm. that's what they were wearing under there. 
Those women that were standing along uh, Locust. Locust Street in 1916 in St. Louis. Yes, um, it's a that's a, an amazing picture you guys have at the at in that exhibit, and I got chills when I saw it, and and a little I got a little choked up. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think we should back up a little bit and talk a little bit more because yeah. we really haven't given our audience a full scope of the exhibit and really how it came into being. I mean, we, and I definitely want to explore our observations in that oh, sure. while walking through it because we learned so much. Mm-hmm. And right now there's a lot of conversation about, you know, hey, do we celebrate the 100 years? Do we not? And and I, I think um, it might be good for us to just go back a little bit and talk about how this exhibit came into being and what inspired, I mean, as a woman, I'm sure there was plenty to inspire you to go down this path. But, you know, uh, yeah, how did this become a key interest for you? And where did this really begin? Right. So I don't, um, I don't usually curate exhibits. Um, I'm the exhibits manager. And so I'm usually behind the scenes, managing budgets, doing all that kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. I love women's history. I love history in general. Um, And so uh, we plan exhibits really far ahead. And, how many? How many years? Um, well, right now we go. We have a calendar that goes all the way to twenty thirty. Wow! Oh my yes. gosh! Yes. So okay. we try to be really strategic about you know when things come and how we plan and that kind of stuff. So we knew you know obviously that the anniversary was coming up of of women's suffrage, and so probably five years ago we started having that conversation of we need to do something, um, and so you know even back then started having the conversation, do you say celebrate? Do you say commemorate? So even the language mm. that you talk about the 19th Amendment and, and women's suffrage, you know, was a discussion. Um, but probably about two years ago um, was when I really kind of, you know, put my put my head down and and really started thinking through kind of what's the story that I want to tell and, and how do I want to tell it? And um, did you sign yourself up for it or how did so it get designated to well, you? Well, so my boss is kind of sneaky. And uh, <laughs> and so, um, you know, I love to do special projects and I'm always up for anything. Uh, and so it started out as a small show in our atrium, which is typically just a graphic graphic and label text kind of show without any artifacts or, okay. you know, so completely doable while you're doing another job. Uh, and then it, we realized how big of a story it was and how much interest there was, you know, in women's history in general and in the suffrage movement. And so it became a 6,000 square foot oh exhibit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, and I particularly wow. love the the focus on, you know, the impact that St. Louis had in it as well. Like Yeah, I think that was brilliant, you know, to have the 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 women portrayed and and talked about to be women of St. Louis and the impact on the full suffrage movement because it, you could have gone just the national figures Right? right, the ones that everybody knows. Right, and then, but you made us feel connected to it. You know, we live here in St. Louis. We're mm-hmm. we could consider ourselves women of St. Louis, absolutely. And mm-hmm. we, I felt very connected to the suffrage movement because I could. It's almost like I could touch touch my ancestors, right? Right, and what they did. Mm-hmm. And it was just right. I mean, who was it? Was that a? Um, uh, right at the beginning, you, you guys said, well, let's make it St. Louis focused or... So starting in 2014 with our 250 and 250 exhibit, we really shifted focus 
and committed at that point to telling St. Louis history at the History Museum. Um, you know, instead of doing travel national traveling shows or, you know, kind of general mm-hmm. We really wanted to start focusing on this is a really special place that we live. It's so great, but it's got some issues. Um, it's got this amazing history. We are at the center of the country. And in a lot of ways, you know, historian, historians are finally realizing that St. Louis in a lot of ways is kind of a microcosm of what's happening in the rest of the country. And mm-hmm. you can kind of follow along with race issues and with gender issues and economics and all sorts of right. things. So we knew off the bat with this exhibit that it we really did want to focus on St. Louis women. And I was personally really committed to telling as many of those stories as I could. Yeah. Just as a as a respect. And as a person who has read a lot of the general histories of St. Louis and got really tired of going through chapters and not knowing the names of any mm-hmm. of the women. It gets me all, gets me all choked up. Yeah. Um, you know, cause we know, we know who the men are. We know the, the great things that they did because they always like to take credit for it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know, but the, the women, they've always been here and yeah. yet somehow they're invisible. And so I really wanted to disrupt that. And and you did a fantastic job. I remember walking out of the exhibit thinking St. Louis wouldn't exist if many of the big institutions mm-hmm. in St. Louis wouldn't exist today if it hadn't been for those three women that came together and created, you know, the Jewish hospital that's now Barnes Jewish Hospital. Right. Um, and Which it was employs like, how many thousands of people, right? right? right. And, and yeah. uh, I was I was kind of, I was blown away by that. It's like, and then I felt the same way, like a little... Um, uh, disappointed, let down that we don't hear these stories all the time. Mm-hmm. And in the exhibit, you have these great large panels and mm-hmm. you have 25 women. 32. 32 women. So there's like these large panels and all the information and great clippings from newspapers or, you know, quotes. Mm-hmm. And you, you you could only fit in 32. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the And the women you chose, I was like, Oh, so fascinating. You know, some I said, these these stories, mm-hmm. you know. I yeah. think you think about the time that this was all happening. St. Louis was a really bustling place. Oh, right. At the, I mean, it really was kind of the center of the United States. You know, the train stations coming in and and it, I mean, it was it was one of the largest cities in the nation at that point in time when all of this was happening and it was this mm-hmm. like immersion of all of these cultures. So I can see how we kind of made our mark as being this center of controversy because there are so many different cultures and lifestyles and yeah. economic um, you know, disparities and, you know, right, right. all right here, sure. um, which really set a precedence for the conversations that still linger on today. Mm-hmm. What were some of the more surprising discoveries that you made as you were researching and pulling this exhibit together? Hmm. I think one of the first ones um, that I really wanted to convey in the exhibit is that um, well, a couple things about really early St. Louis when we were founded, that we were founded as a French, you know, we were a French town mm-hmm. and that women had a lot more leeway, a lot more legal identity when we were under French law, that they could own land, they could run their own businesses, they could um, divorce their husbands, they could um, sue in court, um, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things. And then 
the Louisiana Purchase came along in 1803 and those rights were taken away, essentially. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's so there's that, but then there's also, you know, when St. Louis was founded, it was so small and there were all of these different cultures. There were French people, there were Spanish people, there were Europeans, there were Native Americans, mm-hmm. and they all lived together. Kind of peacefully, right? And it's, yes. No. No. Some, <laughs> you know, there there were slaves at that point. Okay. Um, so there, you know, there's always been complications um, with race and with class and, you know, and, and those kinds of things. But, um, you know, they everybody knew everybody's business. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a story of a woman whose husband beat her. And so she ran to the woman next door and they went and talked to the governor and said, fix it. And uh, and I think they kicked her husband out of town, or they did something, you know. So it was very wow. much a, and that would be pre yes the time when okay yes the decision had yes. Louisiana purchase yes yeah. and so it was very much this tight knit kind of small community, and you know, and you had Madame Chateau who was the matriarch, and she kind of ran the show. She mm. really had some power. Yeah. Um, so what was it about the Louisiana purchase that? made that change for women. So after after the Louisiana Purchase happened, that's when it became an an American territory. Okay. And so we follow the British common law, and under British common law, there's this thing called coverture. And what that really means is that uh when when a woman gets married, she loses her legal identity because her husband covers her legally. Oh. So she has no identity outside of him, no money outside of him, no land outside of him. Her children belong to him. And so wow. we spent the next 200 years trying to get those rights back. Oh bit my by god. Bit. Wow, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I I took your advice and I borrowed the book from the library in her place by Catherine Corbett. You said that was in the most comprehensive book of St. Louis um, women history. And when I read that part in in her book about you know the day before the woman had her property, she had her you know her legal right to divorce, she could have her business, all those things, and then the very next day, it was it was gone. Like everything she'd worked for and she couldn't, and there was no redress. There was no way mm-hmm. to change it. And and I feel like how how frustrating, how stifling was that? Um, how angering. Um, and, uh, you know, just because Thomas Jefferson bought some land, <laughs> it kind of yeah. screwed you over, you know? Well, I'm curious. <laughs> She thought it would be a good idea. And they talk about, like, it was a great, it was the best decision, and we got it for so cheap. And you're like, right. yeah, but think about everybody who got screwed. Right. Well, yeah. how, I'm curious about how quickly women's rights became challenged. You know, like, I, I'm not sure, like, that law came into effect, and then was it just bit by bit that it eroded away? Or was it kind of like all of a sudden these these men were like, I'm taking your power. Like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, well— there, yeah, there's a. It, it wasn't all. It wasn't all of a sudden um, because St. Louis was still kind of. I hate to say out on the frontier, um, but they operated without a lot of oversight uh, because they were smaller and because they were far away from the east, mm-hmm. and so it did. There was a transition period. Well, when the government was set up and 
you know, before under the French law, it was much more, let's just handle it ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then as we transition and get bigger and And they more sent people, more um over you know, more generals or whatever, you know, managers governors uh, coming down to the area and uh yeah, you know, the American way, the Yankee way. Um yeah, it was it wasn't. It's eye-opening, you know. It's so eye-opening as a you know as a woman who was born in you know 1969. I have I have kind of taken for granted everything that I can do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I can buy a house, I can buy a car, you I can, can divorce a husband, I can divorce a husband, I can marry multiple times. Not that they mm-hmm. couldn't marry before, you know. I can I can have kids. <laughs> I do not have kids, you know. Like mm-hmm. I have all these all of these choices to determine the life that I want to have. And when you read the history, you know, you read history books and you like, especially when you can get history of women, you know, um, right. and, and yeah, because you, that in itself is right. Yeah. Limited. It is. It really is. Um, yeah. And you realize how far we've come and it, and, and we didn't just wake up and have everything. Somebody had to fight for it. Somebody had to decide or to say, this isn't right. And, and, and we need more. And, and I, and we're, and we, we should have be able to get out of a marriage. I, I just, um, it's, I can't, I can't tell you enough how great and eye opening this exhibit is, and that mm-hmm. I know I'll go back several times because there's just you have these are the artifacts. I mean, tell us about like finding the artifacts and choosing the artifacts that you have on display. Oh, it's like trying to pick a favorite child. Uh, <laughs> so there, there are some things that are pretty obvious, you know, that are in our collection that we say this has to go out. Um, other things you kind of stumble upon by accident or you meet somebody and they're like, hey, I have this, you know, do you want to borrow it? Yes, League of Women Voters, I want to borrow your signed copy of the history of women's suffrage signed by Susan B. Anthony. Um, Can we put that in the exhibit, you know, and, and, you know, or, uh, you know, we work with um, archaeologists from the Department of Transportation. Yeah. And they've dug stuff up from colonial St. Louis that are connected to women's, women's organizations. Um, And so it really is, my coworkers hate when I use this this explanation, but um, it's kind of the difference between going to Walmart and going to a garage sale. Um, you know, with women's history, you have to do a little bit more digging and be a little bit more creative mm-hmm. about about what you put on display. Um, but I think we ended up with some some pretty phenomenal yes. Um, treasures. Yes. Yes, including uh, some amazing dresses from our textile collection. Yeah. Um, because not only did these women do these amazing things, they did them wearing corsets and, you know, eight mm-hmm. layers of of stuff and just being uncomfortable, not being able to breathe. <laughs> right. And and St. Louis, although it was a hustling, bustling city, wasn't the cleanest city. It didn't have the best roads or the, they didn't have like sidewalks. It was muddy. It was, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of nasty place to be. Um and uh, I can just it's like walking through with all the dirt on your, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> which is what's interesting when you think about the the movement and how you know women when they were coming to march were wearing their white dresses and yellow sashes mm-hmm. and thinking about the challenge for so many women because it wouldn't be practical 
for women to buy the white dress who, you know, weren't of a more elite status, you know? And so, you know, it, it's, it, you think about either the compromise that women had to make to get that white dress to march in that way, or, you know, the, the challenge that it, it poised for some of those that would have wanted to be there that couldn't because they couldn't. Well, isn't, isn't that kind of, um, uh, still exhibited today that the pe- that um, the people who lead movements are the ones that have money, have time, and the one and and those who what you know want to be uh, can't because they have to work three or four jobs to keep you mm-hmm. know their children fed. Um, and how do you how do you bring everybody in or, mm-hmm. or, you know, do you, do you resent the fact that the, um, women of leisure, I don't know what else to call it, yeah. women who have means, you know, do you, do you resent them or do you say, thank God you're doing that because I can't, you know? Yeah. I think that's a good question. I think it's really about, um, you know, trying to create a culture of inclusivity, but that doesn't always exist. And I think that's maybe one of the debates that's happening with this 100-year celebration of the 19th Amendment. You know, it's, um, did did it intentionally exclude, um, you know, certain certain women from having the right to vote? And, um, but I think, Michelle, I know we've got multiple threads of conversation developing here, you know, I would like to believe, at least, it wasn't the intention of those women to exclude other women. Um, And so, you know, we should tackle that topic. But I also think that just moving forward, it's great that women of means have the time and the money to advocate. It's how can we open it up and make it accessible to those who don't have means. And that's maybe another conversation we can explore later, but you know, there's a couple things going on here, you know? And and I, and I think if you, if you can read some history books and go borrow in her place and when your book comes out in, in November, I mean, to understand have an awareness of the complexities of what it was like to live in St. Louis when, um, when slavery was, you know, across the river, it's it's uh, it's a free state. Um, they're trying, you know, so some people are free, some people are not. There were there mm-hmm. were Native American slaves, there were African slaves. Um, you have, you know, it's like like how do you how do you change a society while operating within that society? Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think it, it blows my mind because I can't imagine having how how to make those choices yeah you know um and then then i learned and I'm, i know this is just another thing i learned out there like some of the women who were definitely an, an abolitionists and you know wanted i think it was the woman who started lindenwood um yeah. college yeah that she was strong at, at, um anti-slavery and pro-recolonization. So yeah. she wanted to, uh, she had a school and she was educating the slaves at all this stuff so that when they moved them all back to Africa, they could have a good start because she still wanted a whole white society. Mm. Oh my God, that's <laughs> yeah. so troubling. It's like, oh wait, she she wanted to abolish slavery, yay, but she wanted to move them. That's right. crazy. I know. It's so complex. 
it's so complex oh. and that's uh, i think we we do ourselves a disfavor when we try to simplify issues or if we just stop it oh she was anti-slavery right right like you know we if we don't try to learn it all right you know right um because oh <laughs> until you know the whole story yeah. you can't judge you know but then i think right. once you know all the facts you can start thinking about okay am i going to support what she did am i not like how do i approach it but if we really simplify it it makes it and do you fair. find as a historian um hard or uh, to to pr- to not put today's sensibilities project those oh, on the people from and that time because I think we do. I think we sit here and go, well, they should have known better. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, uh, you know, that was kind of one of the aha moments for me with with telling the suffrage story is that, you know, now, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and we can say, well, I would have done it differently, you know, but these women were 60, 70 years in mm-hmm. and- they were they were pretty desperate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to kind of think of what lengths would you go to to get this passed? Past. What would you be willing to give up? You know, what would you say something derogatory about somebody else in order to get votes from another mm. group? It's politics, uh, right? Yeah. And, you know, they didn't know. They yeah. never knew if they were going to succeed. And they kept coming back year after year. Yeah. And then they had to get... The other thing we learned in the exhibit was mm-hmm. because they weren't registered voters, they actually had to get men to sign the petition. So they had to ask men to sign the petition to put it on the on the ballot or as right. the agenda or whatever. Um, and like, how how humiliating is that? And again, politics. What will you say to that person to get to him get to sign that. the petition? Right, right. What and, promises did you make? And I think it's really helpful to look at women's history to kind of flip it and not say, you know, it was so hard. It was so, you know, they were so tied and, you know, all of these things. But to really think about, you know, they they had to go through so much more to get things done. Mm-hmm. They had to be so much more strategic. You know, they Virginia Minor couldn't take her own case to court. So she had to get her husband to take her case to court. And Virginia Minor, tell us, uh, tell our listeners who she so is. So she was um, an early suffragist who everybody should know. She should have been much more in that PBS vote special. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she was from. She was living in St. Louis, um, and she created the first suffrage organization in the whole country in 1867. And she um, had a philosophy called the New Departure, where she and her husband read the 14th Amendment and basically argued that if women were citizens, citizens already had the right to vote. That was one of their oh, rights. Oh, yes. I remember reading and about so this. Women, yes. Should, all women yeah. should already have the right to vote if mm-hmm. they're citizens. And they took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court came back and said, sorry, but just because you're a citizen doesn't mean you have the you have right the to right. vote. Yeah. And that was in 1874. Oh, heartbreaking, right? And so if they had agreed with her, all women would have had the right to vote at that point. All women of every color. Yeah. Katie, when we had our conversation before our show, you, you said something that really hit me. You said women couldn't just take the power. They had to convince the men to share it. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that, you know, clearly 
in in her case, she had a wonderful man by her side that right. really believed in the fact that there should be this equality. But, you know, and clearly there were lots of men who said, yes. Who signed the petition. Signed right. It, right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. How many years did it take? <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, and that was a it was a learning curve for the suffragists because mm-hmm. a lot of them were the elite. You know, they lived in the West End, and their husbands already believed that women. You know, they believed that you know their wives were educated and you know could make good decisions. Um, so the suffragists kind of assumed that everybody else believed that too, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and so they didn't do as much work at the beginning trying to convince men of other classes and you know immigrant husbands and things like that that women were equally as important it took them a few years to figure that out that they had kind of missed missed the mark on on doing that convincing and in st louis um the suffragettes we say at suffragists suffragists we say suffragists yes the suffragists because they were very respectable yes as opposed to the ets. The ets yes. were more hardcore. Yes, more militant, yeah. usually in the Brit- UK. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, so the ists, the suffragists <laughs> in um, St. Louis had to uh, compromise or promise that they would not they would not vote in prohibition. Because I, I, my understanding is like the the resistance across the nation. One of the res- reasons was, oh, if the women get the right to vote, they're going to vote in prohibition. And the women in St. Louis said, well, no, we have Anheuser Busch and the beer and all the mm-hmm. stuff. We're we're not going to vote in prohibition. So you know they made a compromise here locally, but it still passed, and right. they still had prohibition. You know, <laughs> they but, were right. They but, were right about yeah. But the, you know, but they were like, but we won't do it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> We won't be the ones. I'm curious about suffragettes and suffragists, because I do remember that from the exhibit of, you know, suffragettes, UK, more aggressive tactics, suffragists, um, much more, um, you know, politically correct or whatever, you know, polite about their approach, you know. (laughs) Um, Do the suffragists intentionally want to, like, we're separating... This we're not suffragettes because we're taking a different. Do they intentionally take like we need to make our own word? At least in St. in St. Louis, they really did. I was shocked when I started doing research on the newspapers, and you know, in 1910 was really kind of when everything started picking up for the mm-hmm. final time in St. Louis. And so many articles were like, suffragists committed to being respectable and, mm-hmm. you know, and being ladies and, you know, not like, you know, creating this chaos in, in the streets like like the, right. the suffragettes are doing, you know, in Britain. So it, What were they doing in Britain? I know, well, with the force feeding and, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, they, they did, you know, I think they had, they set bombs some places. Yeah, they and, did. Mm. And they had like, they had hunger strikes. Yeah. Mm. And so in St. Louis, it was always very much a commitment to kind of staying within the boundaries of what was expected of them. Of a woman. But it was another like, we're going to use that. Peaceful protest. To prove to you that that we're, mo- we're morally superior. And so we really oh. deserve the vote. And oh. so they use that to their own advantage. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I I love also though learning about some of the like broady women that <laughs> you know like there were some powerhouse women that in that time you know today would be like 
wow, can you believe that madam is, you know, like, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, if I had 800 hours in the week, I would write a book about prostitution in St. Louis. Yeah. Somebody needs to. That's yeah. a million dollar idea. Somebody needs to because people love hearing about prostitutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean you you know, you have the the one madam, and I cannot remember her name off that you, you will know, but yeah. there was the one madam who you know, was so revered that when she passed was in the New York Times. Yes, yes. So that was Eliza Haycraft. Okay. Yes. And so she she is a she had brothels all over the city and was worth millions. And Amazing. at her I think five thousand people came to her funeral. Uh and she's buried at Bell Fountain Cemetery. And uh, she was an African American, right? No, so she, no, she was she oh, was okay. she was she was white. Um okay. but there was an African American madam by the name of Priscilla Henry. Oh yeah. Who was equally as her her brothels were maybe more upper class than Eliza's. Okay. Uh she had two side by side because black prostitutes and white prostitutes were not allowed to work in the same facility. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Was there a a restriction upon who could who could frequent it? Like, could only white men go to the white pro, the white so, brothel, or did it didn't matter? They could choose wherever they wanted. So get this. So yeah. the white men could go wherever they wanted, mm. but the African American men could only go to the black prostitutes. Oh. Well, I, I, I didn't even need to ask that right. question. I should have known that already. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but, so but the African American women were way busier. Pretty much. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Um, So it's just, you know, it's a fascinating story. And she had been born in slavery and came to St. Louis after the Civil War and got a job doing laundry at a brothel eventually and saw the opportunity and took it uh, for a brief moment in there. Prostitution was legal. Yeah. You said it was like four years. Something. Yeah. 1870 something. Yeah. Even though she operated longer than that. Um, But she ended up making so much money that she bought the plantation where she was born in Alabama. That is amazing. And, you know, when she passed, she was highly respected by the police. And, you know, I mean, she probably had dirt on I'm everybody sure everybody she in the whole city. Uh-huh. But, you know, if one of her girls got beat up or robbed or the police would show up immediately and they would fine her for running a body house, but they never shut her down. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they were all <laughs> right, tied <taken> in. <laughs> yeah. She, had, she would have coffee and donuts for them. You know, she always had, had that uh, out for Oh, that's where that office. started probably. Yeah, probably. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the industrious nature of the women uh, of all women in St. Louis, because you had, I mean, it's like they had to make a living. They had, they had to work. They had, they had to either, you know, go work in somebody else's home. They had to have a boarding house. They, you know, St. Louis was not a, not a friendly place. We are, and yeah. our, our city government or our, wasn't established to take care of people. No. And there's one, like, there's a, Twenty year period. It's in, that St. Louis went from like sixteen thousand people to like a hundred thousand people. Yeah, in like twenty years. Right. And they st- and we didn't have the infrastructure in place. Oh. We didn't have public school. No, we didn't have um, sewers. Sewers. Yeah. <laughs> we, and uh, but when, but the women were so um, you know uh, uh, 
concerned about the mm-hmm. the orphans from the cholera epidemic or the mm-hmm. you know the poor the you know the children mm-hmm. out on the streets that they created like orphan homes they yeah. created societies to to feed the hungry to provide those necessities because it wasn't here and the and the the and it wasn't going to happen if the women didn't do it right it's astounding when you really think about the you know you 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 opened the show up right when you said you know there are all these major institutions that are in this city that wouldn't exist if it weren't for the women and when you really break it down and it's it's beyond them doing an ego project or putting putting money on a building to have a name on a building it's it's nothing existed to house all these orphans from the cholera yeah. you know nothing existed to educate these all of these children you know it's like all of these this infrastructure that needed to exist due to that boom yeah. you know they made it happen and those right. institutions still exist today right. and are still a significant part of not just our city's infrastructure but these are institutions that people visit from everywhere 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 yeah yeah, yeah. it's substantial yeah i had a i had a coworker it's probably been at least a year and I had never thought of it this way. But when you think about, you know, St. Louis was started as a fur trading post and, and the whole thing about fur trading is that the men are out. They are Mm -hmm. gone eight months of the year. You think, well, who was running the city? It was the women who were left, you know? And so from the very beginning, it was, you know, it was the women who were here who were making things happen and solving problems, Mm -hmm. you know? And they didn't ask for a plaque. They didn't ask for their name on a building. You know, they were just, they saw needs and they got it done. Um, Well, and one of the things that I learned, though, was, uh, you know, a lot of our street names are actually... after women, Shoto, yeah, uh, Lucas Hunt, yeah, is a woman. I always thought it was Lucas and Hunt, but it's Lucas Hunt, and it's it's a it's a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's yeah. a lot of street names that when you look into their history, you're like, well, that was a really large slave owner in that our. Might be time our... to maybe switch that up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's another conversation. <laughs> I, I think I think should look at all of that history. I think we can't we can't just we can't be deny like, that it didn't happen. We can't just be but, like, well, yeah. Lewis and Clark, and they went out and they were here, and look, boom, yeah, we, we have an arch, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, if we because unfortunately, we're looking through this exhibit, we're reading articles from the New York Times uh, with uh, describing incidences in Kirkwood at, at a park that had, you know, African Americans out there for an afternoon. This would have been in the early, early um, 1900s. And, you know, and the police circling around expecting there to be um, problems and there weren't any problems. They were just having picnics and enjoying themselves. And I think the tagline at the end was the only thing that got hurt that day was Kirkwood's um, uh, ego mm. and this and their pride. Right, you know? right. But, you know, we still have the same thing, right? If you have a large gathering of African Americans in changed. Forest Park. Guess what? They're yeah. going to be circling around, expecting problems. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I um. And we're not going to heal 
until we we you actually have to admit it. We have to admit it. We have to talk about it. That's yeah. exactly what I was just thinking. You can't deny the bad history. No, you know, um, it's that's your opportunity to really learn. And you know, I, I I'm curious, Kitty, when you became interested in history, I mm-hmm. I remember um, in school you know, junior high and high school, really struggling with history. And I think it was because at that time, it was all about memorizing dates rather than like learning about the stories that, you know, this is what happened. These were the the conversations that were happening at the time. These were the, the, the debates and the challenges, which led to this event, which is how you know, this battle happened or how this legislation Mm -hmm. came into being. For me, my education didn't paint that picture. Mm -mm. And it wasn't until I was in college where I had a great storyteller of a a historian, a teacher, that really helped me understand, okay, really it's, okay, that date just gives you a mile marker on how long it's been we've been fighting for women's rights or right, <laughs> right or whatever it yeah. is. You know, the exact, was it November, whatever, you know. Right. But it's it's really about understanding all of the dynamics at hand. What was the strategy and thinking at play? That gives us information to evolve from. But I don't think that that's what kids are learning today. For you, what was your education like in history, and and how did you become so interested in it? (laughs) So good at it. I know. (laughs) That's really scary. My parents would be so proud. Uh, So I was kind of like you. I never really enjoyed history classes because they were all military and, you know, when was this person president? And I just never, but I was a voracious reader and I loved historical fiction. And so I think that's really where, you know, where my love of history kind of started. And, you know, we would also take vacations to Gettysburg and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those kinds of places. Um, But, uh, you know, it really, it really wasn't until, uh, I have a master's degree in American studies from from St. Louis University, and um, I like to say it's history on crack, which is oh, American yeah. studies, um, because it really very t- addictive. It re- yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, it really, uh, you know, it kind of looks at history not as kind of like this. There's one answer. It's looking at it from economic standpoint, from cultural standpoint. You know, what were movies at the yeah. at that time? What did, what were they doing? And um, and so I think, um, you know, just talking with other people who are interested in history and reading books and, you know, it's like the messier it gets, the the more interesting it is. Mm-hmm. I always say I'm the person who wants to know, well, how do people go to the bathroom? <laughs> right. You know, or like Under all did, those garments. Uh, yeah. Like, how did women deal with having a period every month? You right. know, I mean... Oh my gosh, yeah. Those are the... I, and you included that information know, in the exhibit. I know, I I'm like, damn it, I'm putting it in. <laughs> I don't yeah. remember. You have to answer it now. I don't remember that part. I read everything. There's but... a sanitary belt on display. Yes, but that wasn't... That wasn't... How they went to the bathroom? How, well, no. Oh, I no. mean, I saw the sanitary belt, but that came in relatively... Late. Yeah, so late. that was... Well, that one was from 1880s. Oh, oh okay. And they did not change... Until till always till we got the wings. Yeah, <laughs> before my time. Yeah, you know. So, but thinking about 
you know, women's history. Until and- we got adhesive. Until we found yeah. Yeah. 3M got involved. And so I can make this better. Let's just make it adhesive to their, to their uh, you know, gunmetal panties. Right. And uh, they don't have to wear the belt. Yeah. yeah. But I do, I do actually remember in high school, I had a, I had a teacher who brought in, um, he brought in a, a Nazi flag and, you know, this material stuff that either his grandfather had brought back or, you know, yeah. something. And I just always remember that moment of just, you know, there's something about... You wanted to know more. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's the good storytelling and, you know, making it more more about stories, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because done, that's the truth of it. There's a yeah. story behind every date. Yes. Yes. And, you know. and that's why people enjoy sitting around with relatives and telling stories about their families Mm -hmm. because that's what history is. Uh It's not, you know, Columbus came and, you know, you know, it's saved us from ourselves. Right. You know, it's, (laughs) yeah, there's so much more. And I, I wish, I think so many more people would find it interesting and would inform, you know, like St. Louis isn't how it is today by accident. The -hmm. problems that we're facing aren't new, aren't an accident. There is a line that you can follow of how from, we got here. Yeah, from the beginning. Yeah. And you know, and at the same in the same way, there's no easy solution, unfortunately. You just mentioned people loving to sit around with their families and share stories. And I can yeah. completely relate to that. I mean, I that's one of the things like I love visiting my uncle. We will literally stay up all night oh, wow. talking about family stories. And I find it fascinating because there's things that I haven't heard before. Um, he's brilliant and funny and we have just the best time. And then when we're done kind of talking for a bit, we'll put on a, you know, a great old black and white movie or, you know, (laughs) so we're all still historically entrenched, you know. And I, um, I, I think about how important and that. As individuals, we we love learning about our family history, and people are like, "Oh, I'm Irish, I'm French," I'm, even though it's like, "Well, you know, I might be thirtieth generation or whatever right, it is." That's right. an exaggeration, I know. <laughs> but you know, I just did the um, twenty three and Me yeah, like, yeah. thing, you know, and I've been so excited to 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 get into that because of family history and the stories. It's like getting to see, okay. Where did I really come from? And following that line back. And it's just really opened up this kind of inner discovery. Yeah. Uh, and oh, I yeah. and I think that that's one way that popular culture is teasing people to dig into history mm-hmm. a little bit. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I um, when history went from being an oral history and an oral tradition to being written down is I think probably when we started to lose some history because oh, sure. only those who could write right wrote you know and they were normally men yeah you know um and, and they chose what to write down mm-hmm. or um, hammer into the stone or hammer into the stone <laughs> or or you know um, or dictate or something and yeah. it's like but today we have a lot of technology at our hands and i would um highly suggest that you take your phone and you sit down and you 
you gather that oral history, right? Or, or your own history, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things we talk like they've they've found like snippets of what women's life was like because of a piece of a letter that was included in a mm-hmm. in a collection, or mm-hmm. um, somebody else wrote a story and and talked about his mom. Um, there's um, a, a, a slave that Elizabeth, I think is her name Mm. in in that book in her Mm. place. But so we don't want, you know, our stories to be lost. And thankfully we have a lot of episodes of Clearly Speaking Podcast. (laughs) So Emily and I have, (laughs) we have, you know, quite a few stories, archived our stories in perpetuity, you know, so um, our impact will always be felt. However, you know, if you don't want to have a podcast yourself, but you don't want your story, Story, your mom's story, your grandma's story, your nieces, your um, sisters to not be there for for the for the future, oh. you know. Yeah, and we have we have very cheap technology available to to capture that, mm-hmm. um, make it easier on a curator of an exhibit in mm-hmm. fifty years because I know you guys are you have it time lined out so yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. tell people well the Missouri I'll be History dead. Museum I'll be hopefully retired by right. then but the Missouri <laughs> History Museum is going to be doing this exhibit in fifty years so if you can start archiving stuff now people and because we'll, we're going to need it <laughs> yeah <laughs> we plan things ahead yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you know and sharing that stories I mean I was. After your exhibit, I was I went to go see a friend of mine. She we were, she was cutting my hair, and I was telling her the different mm. the different snippets that I could remember mm-hmm. about uh, the ha- asking men to sign the petition, or you know the the women losing this right, or the fact that in Missouri until three women worked to get the the guardianship law changed, everything that a woman owned. Oh, is that the yes. coverture uh, maybe related? To yeah. That? So that was yeah. It was one woman. Uh, from Webster Groves in 1913, who changed that law, but she had to convince an attorney to write the law for her. Well, so so imagine this: you are at your job and you've been working for 40 hours, and um, you come home and you think that you're gonna like put that money into your account, and then your dad says, "No, that's mine," or your brother takes it because your dad's not around, or, or you're an orphan. Yeah, because your mom's dead, right? But then the alcoholic dad. Comes and takes your money. Right? Exactly, which was one of the stories in the exhibit, which, is where, which was which, astounding. Which led to that law yes. being yes. changed. Yeah. 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 Guardianship law. So, oh, I mean, um, like, so I was telling her these these things I had learned, um, just these snippets of it. And she's like, why don't we talk? Why don't we know about this? Mm-hmm. Why don't we talk about that? And I was like, because women's history has not been. Um, important or deemed important. I mean, I think it's important, but it has not been deemed important to the deciders, the writers of history. Is there intention behind that? As a historian, have you seen any evidence of there being like an intentional um, deletion of information about women throughout history who have, you know, yielded great change culturally speaking or clitorally speaking (laughs) (laughs) Uh, sorry for the silence Um, no I think uh, I don't deliberately is kind of a strong word Mm -hmm. I think it's always been a power you know a power move that it just wasn't it wasn't even on the radar 
Well, um, I mean, who wants to know about women's history? Right. I mean, um, but, uh, you know, really? I'm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, even even now, you know, African-American history has been an oral tradition and that we, you know, continue to try to collect those oral histories because they're, those stories aren't written down mm-hmm. and that has been part of that culture. But there is also some mistrust of of mainstream history that that's going to be misconstrued or that we're not a safe place for those stories or artifacts to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I have to think that it was like that for women's history mm-hmm. at, also at, at one point. Um because whenever you have that information, it's easier to manipulate it however mm-hmm. you want. Um, but I don't. I, deliberate is such a. It's strong. Yeah. 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 I. I okay. think. I think there may have been an indifference to women's history. Yeah. I, because yeah, but, because if they don't if they didn't they if they don't think it's important themselves I mean right then because people. People find uh, what interests them is important. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. That's that's my, that's my take. But okay, I, I think women have also downplayed their role, their accomplishments. Yes. Well, because we don't want him to feel bad, right? You know, or the whole <laughs> imposter syndrome, or it really wasn't that big of a deal. It's no you big know, deal. Or, I mean, you yeah. know, or we also we work in groups, and so it's like who's who do we give credit to? If it was a group, you know. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or we don't... Everybody needs equal screen time. Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, so mm-hmm. like with the Golden Lane Parade that happened in 1916, this parade yes. with 8,000 women, we don't know whose idea it was. Wow. We can attribute it to, I think, four or five different women. Yeah. Usually people think it was Edna Gellhorn who, who plan- you know, who it was her idea but it wasn't like she kept a, a journal and was like, I did this and I yeah. did this. Yeah. And so it's just, it is a different, women's history is just different. Um, and I think it, it makes it easier sometimes to overlook because it's not, you know, we went to war on November 30th, 18, blah, blah, blah. It's more of a an organic history. Mm. But it's still a wave of women that came together. That is a battle. Yes. You know? and then, and you yes. said there were 5,000 women who came to that. So we also don't have a great number. <laughs> uh, well, I usually say 8,000. 8,000? Yeah. So, um, and this was in 1916. Yes. It, the, St. Louis was hosting the Democratic National Convention. And if they had 8,000 women from across the country, mm-hmm. across the nation, came yeah. to St. Louis... A, there was no um, social media, so it's not like they got a Facebook right. invite right. and knew to come. So they had to have like mail letters or mm-hmm. get newsletters or the network or, you know, yeah. um, wow. telephones were in, were, were they invented then? Yeah. Telephones? Yes. yes. Early. Yeah. And but they early. had Telegram. The, okay. Telegram. The Western stuff like Union. That. Telegraph. But they all, I mean, they came and they were dressed the same, the white um, and the sashes, and they lined Locust Street, both sides. And they stood there, silent, while the men, the delegates to the national, the Democratic National Convention, walked down Locust Street, heading to the convention center. And it was like the voiceless, walkless, talkless parade. Walkless, talkless parade. And it was like we don't have a voice. Can you imagine the restraint it would have taken to not say something or yell out? Or I mean that. 
took willpower. Yeah. Because there was, I'm sure, some great anger that had built up by that point. Yeah. But I think it was more of the, we are sick of talking. You know, the, you know, the, I'm, I'm not a mother, but I've, I've experienced the, I don't even have the words of how upset I am right now. So I'm yes. just going to give you the look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then that yeah. was a very effective look because they did, they, they put it on their platform. They at, did. At the DNC for that, that year. And then it took another um, four years mm-hmm. for it to <sighs> get finally pass. Yeah. And, <sighs> and can, can we talk a little bit about the fact that um, in Current times, people are saying that this shouldn't be commemorated because it didn't Mm. uh, provide the right to vote to all women, um, just white women. Um, But I, you know, I've had a conversation with other people and and I feel like two things. One, if we didn't have the 19th Amendment, then they wouldn't have had, nobody would be voting right the women would, would have taken us another another uh, 50 60 years yeah. um I recognize the fact that african african american women were excluded but not in the language yeah, of, not in, so. not in right. the language of the amendment yeah. but right. in the application of the amendment Being at adopted the, state at by the state. states yeah. yeah and it was the you know the jim crow you know um laws and the yeah. the barriers to the ballot and the you know all those extra tests that were be, mm. were in place for African American men, even though they had the ability to vote. Right. They still had to pass all these tests. Right. So I, I just want to kind of make it clear that you know it, it, the amendment was not ex- excluding no. black women, right, or non-white women from voting. You know, and I don't want anybody to be like, well, we shouldn't be celebrating it because it didn't. I mean, like, I just know that it wasn't an exclusion. Right. But, Not intentionally so. And there's, right. And there is power in small steps. And there's compromises and everything's right. complicated. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, right. we we didn't live in 1920. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and then we also need to say, we need to quit with the whole, like, well, it wasn't perfect, so we can't celebrate it. Women, we we have to celebrate our, uh, th- we don't have to be perfect. Everything doesn't have to be perfect for us to to um, applaud m- progress, yeah. mm. you know? But we do that to ourselves. Well, you know, I, yeah. you did a great job. Oh, well, right. yeah, but I, I, I did this bad or whatever. You know, we never yeah. just enjoy the fact that you did something and and. And I'm grateful that, I mean, that we got to that point. After 200 years. Right. (laughs) Right? That we made change in the positive direction. It is, you know, I I am, you know, I'm saddened that, um, you know, the original intent— intention of the legislation, it seems, was adulterated, or I don't know if that's the right word, but it was— you know, adopted state by state in its own in yeah. its own way, and wasn't as a, inclusive as as my goodness it should have been. Right? Which is why they had to do the Voting Rights Act of 1965 because it, right. every state d- yeah. manipulated the 14th and the 19th Amendment to their to right. whatever to their own way, the whim right. of the that state. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I'm curious, Katie. What what can you tell us about that time? You know, how long did it take from the legislation to pass to the states to then start adopting their own rules? And then what kind of transpired after that? Do you is this part of something that you've do, have 
dove into it all? A little bit. I can, I can, I can, I'm in, I have enough to be dangerous. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, We've always had this issue of states' rights versus federal. Yeah. And so several states had already given women the right to vote by oh, the time nineteen twenty came around. Really? Yes. What states would what are some of those? I knew Any you were ask me I'm that. sorry. So I mean, a, lot, no, a lot of the western states, so like okay. Wyoming was the first. Um but oh. several Yes. And so actually the suffragists in Missouri were were doing fighting for both. Okay. So they were fighting for us because if the state gave women the right to vote, the women in that state could vote. They didn't need a federal amendment. Oh. Um, so on both both fronts Isn't they were working that on. Right. And so there was disagreement about which way you should fight and we kind of did both. Uh so so some states already had that in place. Um so But the federal, so the federal amendment, basically, it just opened up the pool, you know, so before then, the only people in the pool were men. And then, you know, the states that had already granted women the right to vote, but the federal amendment opened the pool to all men and all women who were citizens. And so then it was the states who could put up roadblocks, Uh individual, you know, the individual states could put up roadblocks. And so, um, you know, so in in Missouri, uh, so the amendment was ratified in August, and then the the election was November, and so they had two months oh. to register and to learn how to vote. Oh wow. my gosh! <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, and so and and share the information on how to do that, right? Because these right? women had never they didn't know. And yeah. how many of them actually? I mean, did every. Not everyone knew how to read and right, right, yeah. And so, as as far as I know, those I don't want to get myself in trouble here. From what I've read, St. Louis didn't have those restrictions in place for that for that for election. That election. Um, we registered the city registered over one hundred twenty thousand women, one hundred thirty thousand women over a four day period. Oh, oh my in god! September. How did they even handle that? They had a rally downtown. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, and one of the stories that we have is is an African American woman who claimed to be one hundred thirteen years old. Oh, my. born in eighteen oh seven, had been a slave, was freed. And and can, can you and register to vote her? and vote, you know. So Ugh. so it's we have this, you know, this record of an African American woman registering and voting in the nineteen twenty election. In the nineteen twenty election, I feel like her story needs to be turned into like a, you know, I, a movie. I know, I <laughs> yeah. know. Well, it'll have to be like a combination of stories because of yeah. the lack of in the right because we don't we don't have we a don't picture have her of her it's you know we yeah. have a blurb in in the newspaper about her so yeah so the, it was definitely not a uh you know i it's frustrating when people when i say oh you know we're it's about suffrage and you know the 19th amendment oh but black women didn't get the right to vote and it's it's more complex than that it's more interesting than that yeah mm-hmm. it's sadder than that it's more hopeful than that um, so it's ask the questions, go deeper. Don't just assume, right? right. That you you don't know assume that, that that meme you saw is the ac- right. the actual you know truth with it, right? Um, and and also educate yourself because before I just assumed that well we all got the right to vote, 
Right. Yeah. Didn't it didn't click in my mind, and that goes to white privilege. You know that it didn't click into my mind that it, uh, that the barriers to voting for African American women were there until the Voting Rights Act. Right. But this and those barriers also existed for the men too. I mean, right. Right. Um, yeah. And and the barriers, the states continue to throw up barriers. Counties continue to throw up barriers. Cities continue to throw up barriers. Oh, yeah. Because you oh, know my what? Gosh. The vote is the most powerful thing a citizen has in mm-hmm. our country. Yep. And it has, the, it has the ability to change the direction of a society. It does. I feel like our vote is being challenged increasingly more so every day to the various tactics that are being employed yeah. to prevent, you know, absentee exor- votes. All and, that, to exercise, yeah. the, to exercise the right. I mean, um, yeah. and if, <laughs> can you imagine if the city of St. Louis today, like if we had 120,000 new registrations in four oh days? Oh my God. Right, I know. The polls would be horrible, <laughs> but great. But great. You yeah. Know? Um, that yeah. would just like blow your mind. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And especially in St. Louis, I mean, even, you know, I mean, I think more more people vote in the presidential election than they vote mm-hmm. for anything else. Um, right. But I'm just starting to understand. I'm ashamed that I'm only just learning this of how important it is to vote in local elections and that it really is more of a one-on-one you see where your vote goes and that yeah. it makes a difference because you those you see what those people do your aldermen and mm-hmm. you know your mayor yeah. and they're the ones who are affecting your life day to day and if we don't vote we're how we can't complain it, yeah. right if you don't if you don't uh you know raise the issue then things don't get changed because yeah. they will assume that everything is hunky-dory and why are you why are you complaining if you, you know, you had a chance to vote, but you didn't. Right. You know, and there are so many people that came and, and pursued and persevered after 52 years for, I don't know, like a long, long (laughs) long time, time. (laughs) you know, from the end of this, I started before the civil war wanting to get the right to vote. Mm -hmm. So add the math, um, to 1920 and you know, what, what's, what do you have in your own life? And I'm putting this out there for all of us that we would stay committed to for that many years. Wow. Like how would you right. like, right. I, and you know that there had to been waves of women that came into it, you know, and either like somebody like, I, I, I feel bad for the women who passed before they had the chance. Right. right. So, Susan B. Anthony died in 1916. I think never got a chance to vote. I mean, how, oh. Right. So like, like th- that kind of commitment and that kind of commitment to change, you know, and we, uh, I know we have lots of movements in front of us now, you know, like, would we be, would we still have that commitment to change for the climate, for, you know, um, anti-police brutality for, I mean, would we, mm-hmm. do we have it in ourselves as a yeah. society, as, as citizens to continue to year after year come back? I hope so. You know, let's take yeah. the inspiration from the from the women, the suffragists. Yes, the <laughs> the, the, the silent. The, what was walkless, the, talkless parade? Oh my god! You know, I, to walk, I, I mean, when we, when we came together, the women and the women's march in um, twenty seventeen. I mean, that was powerful. Yeah, and actually, the picture one of the pictures that is in the exhibit is from the women's march, and one of the women in the march is Ann Tausig, and her. Grandmother, mother, grandmother, 
were were suffragists. And it's just in St. Louis, you have that continuity because they were some of the wealthier families who had been here for a really long time and are still here that they can trace it back of these women just, you know, kind of breaking the mold. And can you imagine just being a upper class housewife saying, I'm going to go give a speech on the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking my soapbox. Get Like literally taking my soapbox. Yeah. <laughs> I, just to think about yeah. how crazy that would have been. Yeah. It's just. It's bold. It it's is. Really, yeah. It is. So I guess, you know, I, I would put it out there. Um, you know, St. Louis is rich with history and rich with connections. You who are listening to us, you have your connections. You've got your family connections. Don't be shy on sharing those. Yeah, we'd love to hear. Share them with us. We'll connect them to Katie or, you know, I mean, if if you're listening and you're like, oh, that was my great grandma's grandma or whatever, we want to hear from you. And I know the History Museum would want to hear from you. Absolutely. Um, Women who have moved the needle. We want to hear. Yeah, and oh, and even, great. but even like you know, one of the one of the things in the exhibit that um, struck me and was this that big ledger book from the St. Mm-hmm. Louis Female Hospital, which used to be the female or the St. Louis Hospital for social the social evils hospital the social evils oh hospital, <laughs> which helped um, prostitutes, prostitutes and uh, it's the prostitutes again. Right. Everybody loves I them. Know. <laughs> So I know we're getting, I mean, we're getting it is so the oldest profession for women in the world, right? <laughs> so incredibly local here for all of our international <laughs> listeners. But uh, for those of this this building on um, on a sublet near Arsenal, and there's like this this red building, and that's the has, that's the hospital. The it's that's that's the psychiatric hospital. Did, the did social it, evils hospital is no longer there. That's I, where the tennis courts are. Oh, they plowed it down. The tennis courts in They wanted the different sublet, kind of games on that ground. The sublet park. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So this Okay, so so I was okay, my apologies. That's my all right. my confusion was I had them be the same thing that they went from the social evils to the female hospital to the psychiatric hospital. No, so they were there at the same Oh, okay. so the oh, social the evils time. hospital hospital changed its name, right? To something more, but the psychi- ist, right? <laughs> but the, yeah, the psychiatric hospital pre predated. Okay, the, the, yeah. Well, so it doesn't exist except by the tennis courts. So just walk along <laughs> tennis courts, and you'll be at the social evils hospital. But they have this big ledger, and there's I want I just want to sit down and go through all of them and read every page that lists like who came in the hospital. What, their, what her name was. What, she, what was her social condition? Was she married? Was she divorced? Was she single? Was she no, was not divorced? Widowed? Um, and what, what, what brought her to the hospital? Uh, you know, what was her occupation if she had one? And then, like, when did she leave? Or did she die? And, like, what did you think? 50 names on a page? Yeah, that's what, yeah. We and that. it's a huge book. A couple hundred pages. At least. And those are stories of women that nobody knows their stories. And I, it's like, I want to hold that book and think on it, you know, and like. Give it to a medium. Get get the you name know? and think about what <laughs> yeah. would, what would, you know, S- Sally Smith's, the prostitute who delivered a stillbirth baby. Right. And then was discharged. What was her story? And it has their addresses too. Yeah, seriously, which, which, it's so personal. because so many of those yeah. houses are still 
oh, around are still around. Oh my God, yeah, I, totally I know. Is do it the that it just makes me because it just you know like these are real people. People, they have stories. They had lives. They struggled and. You know, they we, had we owe them dreams. the respect. Exactly. We owe them the acknowledgement that they were here. <laughs> Imagine yes. if the trolley in St. Louis did a tour of those homes. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a little more successful. It might, it might, be. It might be. But there's there's so much. And I guess, you know, like for our listeners, I mean, I know we've talked a lot about St. Louis. But, you know, this the women's history is women's history wherever you are listening to us from, you know, and when you start to uncover and unearth the stories, you're going to be blown away. Mm-hmm. And if you are here in St. Louis, you should be at the exhibit, mm-hmm. the Beyond the Ballot exhibit at the Missouri History Museum tomorrow. And if you are from outside St. Louis and we are within a safe Corona visit mm-hmm. vacation, <laughs> You should come to the exhibit. And then if you are outside something that's within safe distance, is there some stuff on the Missouri History Museum website? Yeah, and we're doing, so I keep saying yeah. Yes, uh, so we're doing lots of virtual programming through the end of the year and all sorts of different things. And yeah, so just go to our website, mohistory.org. You'll find it. And then you can also check out her book in November, Groundbreakers, Rule Breakers, and Rebels. And then any other amazing references we've talked about in her place, any other books, movies that we should be reading or or getting our minds into? So the PBS special on the vote that they just produced um, is, is great. Um, they definitely kind of diversify the story and tell more, more of the different factions of suffrage, okay. you know, whereas a lot just focus on Susan B. Anthony or or whatever. So that one's great. Um, I am super excited about a book um, that is coming out, I think, within the next couple of weeks called Vanguard by Martha Jones, I think is her name. Um, But she actually has a St. Louis connection. No way. And that's, yeah, she starts her book. um, Her mother was an African-American suffragist. And so she does research and finds more about her um, by digging in the St. Louis American newspaper. Um, And so I'm intrigued about to read that whole story, but she is considered the historian of African-American women politics is from what I understand. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it is Martha Jones, Vanguard, How Black Women Broke Barriers, Won the Vote, and Insisted on Equality for All. That's the title of her forthcoming book that's in your Amazon. Uh, Yeah. um, (laughs) It's coming. Already. Right. (laughs) So there, you know, there are, there are books out there. Uh, There's articles out there. There's not as many as I would like there to be. Um, So any future historians, there is plenty of work to be done. Yeah. Um, You know, I wish I had college to do over again. Um, What would be your next? What would be women's studies? Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually, I love women's medical history. Uh, well, now after the book, so, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, like the prostitution book or, yeah. you know, I, just there's so many things that are, that are just, they're so fascinating and they require time and attention and, um Well, thank you so much for dedicating your time and attention to pulling all of these stories together that not only impacted our region, but, uh, you know, uh, 
nationally and globally. Like, and it's it, it inspire. It's inspiring. Absolutely. And, and it's uh, and it, it's been wonderful having you here today, talking to us, sharing the stories, and yeah. you'll come back. Great. I know. You got a book, got a book to, right. to promote. <laughs> <laughs> to do something else amazing, you know. <laughs> what you've done is already amazing. We appreciate oh, your work so much, so much yeah. and your expertise. Thank yeah. you for joining us today. What a delight. Thank and is there so any much. cheers that women suffragettes? Was or there, suffragists, was, was there? there like, they did have their own cocktail. It mm-hmm. was printed in the post dispatch. I'll send that to you. Okay, well, it looks that. horrible. It had vermouth and bitters and weird things. <laughs> um, no, they had some songs, but they were horrible. Okay, <laughs> okay well, we'll share that drink. Yeah. Cheers for now. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> One more.